Amen. Cool. So what we're going to do is um, look at, as we have been over the past couple weeks, around the what the voice of Jesus does. Because you remember, my sheep hear my voice. Those are words that Jesus spoke. What it, what it does to hear his voice. We, every week we've been looking at some of those. We'll look at three more today. Look at how do you know it's his voice. Just some, just some thoughts around that. And then finally, we're going to look at how do you hear his voice? Because there are some keys to having that. We're going to receive that, meditate on that as a church family today, implement it during the course of this week. On Wednesday, we're going to touch base with one another and kind of help one another along the journey and complete the next seven days of our three-week journey, which does not end, by the way at the end of 21 days, as we know. It's a launching pad to a lifestyle from this point forward of hearing the voice of Jesus. And can I say, what happens when a church makes that the priority? Hearing the voice of Jesus and doing what he says. Is there a limit to what he can do through us or through you? How much would your life be transformed into looking like Jesus in his kingdom if we hear his voice and do what he says? So what happens when we hear the voice of Jesus? The first thing, the voice of Jesus enables us to follow Jesus. That's a profound idea. And the key text there is what is written right behind me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them, and they follow me. I want to remind us this morning. I want to remind me this morning that we want to pray before we preach. Let's ask the Lord right now to, uh, to, to speak through his word. Lord, we do want to honor you in your presence. We've honored you in our worship of you. We don't want to just go through motions. We want to recognize that you are here in this room. Father, we pray that you would leverage this moment that we have taken to hear your word. Lord, we want to hear you through the preaching and teaching of your word. We want to hear the voice of the shepherd. We ask that the eyes of our heart be opened, that we would hear you. I pray, Father, that even the things that I'm saying, it would go beyond that and that people would hear what you are speaking to them personally and that we would walk out of this room with an awareness of what you're doing and what you're saying and that we would walk in it in Jesus' name. Amen. Fundamental to the idea of biblical Christianity is the recognition that Jesus is Lord. It is the undoing of what happened at the fall, where, in essence, mankind received lies through the serpent into their minds and into their hearts of believing that there is a way other than God's way. Did God really say not to eat of that fruit? Are you really going to die if you do that? And we came up with options. And in its most simplest of forms, Jesus has come to be the way the truth, the life. And all who pass through the gates of salvation in him, everybody, 
And just because you were born into a Christian family does not mean you are passing through the gates of salvation. It is something that each of us have to confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, what does Lord mean? It's not, it's not his name, as John David says. It's his function. Jesus becomes your king, the one who's leading you. And can I ask us the simple, simple question, how do you follow one whose voice you can't hear? This is the key to the, the, my sheep hear my voice. In order to do the basics 101 of what it is to be a Christian biblically, we have to hear his voice. So what does hearing the voice of Jesus do? It enables us to follow him, which is the key identity of a believer, is you're following Jesus. Have you ever read the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Any of them? Not even all four, just some of them. You notice what the disciples do? Come, follow me. Simple, right? Not come and go to church. Come, read your Bible every day. I'm not, I'm, you need to read your Bible, right? But that'll, that doesn't mean you're following Jesus. Come, tithe, like Bob said. Come, pray. None of those things mean we're following. That is the only way you can follow him. A Jesus who has resurrected and ascended into heaven, whose body we no longer see, we can't physically follow him. How are we going to follow him in this new covenant age? The voice of the shepherd. The voice of the shepherd is how we are able to walk out the basics of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. In other words, without hearing his voice, we cannot, we cannot do what we're called to do. This series, by the way, of hearing his voice is, for me, a demonstration and an example of hearing his voice. Why are we doing this series? Did I have a strategic plan to do this? No. When we were in Toronto... I was, I don't even know what was happening, but at some point, a thought came to me about hearing God's voice, and in a moment, I knew, I just knew in my knower, in my spirit, I knew this is what Border City Church needs to look at for the next while. That's the voice of the shepherd. It, it's just, it feels like a thought, but it's different than just a thought. It's like a thing that you kind of know it's him. Making sense? So... It's how you follow Jesus. Secondly, what does the voice of Jesus do? It causes spiritual maturity when you obey it. It causes spiritual maturity when you obey it. Now, spiritual maturity and uh, natural maturity are not the same thing. So they are similar, but they're not the same thing. So when, when uh, let's take an example, my sons were born, either of them, they were babies, naturally, and uh, they completely relied on everybody around them. You guys have seen babies before, and some of you have taken care of babies. You know what I'm talking about. From their perspective, I would imagine they thought, as little babies in that crib, that the entire world obviously must revolve around them. Because in their world, every time they cry, somebody comes running. Every time they're hungry, somebody's giving them food. Every once in a while, someone's changing their diaper. Everyone's goo goo gaga. Everyone wants to hold them. The, the world clearly revolves around them as a baby, right? Fast forward the clock 30 years, a 30-year-old. Ideally, if the maturity process has happened, that person at the age of 30 may 
let's say, be married. They may have kids. They spend almost every waking hour doing something for other people. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You go to work, you're serving somebody else. You're doing something for other people. You come home, you're ki- taking care of your kids, and you're doing this, and you're loving your spouse, and you're giving, 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 giving. That's maturity. That's physical maturity. Sadly, some people don't even see natural maturity. Spiritual maturity is something similar, but it's different. And it's similar in this regard. When you are a babe in Christ and first come to Jesus, everything revolves around you. What God's speaking to you tends to be encouraging to you, to help you through, through your process. You're kind of wearing diapers, so to speak. And as you mature, you're moving forward to live, live for others. Now, if you'll look with me in Hebrews chapter 5, the author of Hebrews speaks of this process. And I want you to hear this because hearing his voice, hearing the voice of Jesus, causes spiritual maturity when you obey the voice. Hebrews 5 verse 12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, and let's hit pause there, that is not saying that everybody in here should be a teacher in the sense of articulating sermons and messages. It's not the office of a teacher. What the the author of Hebrews is saying is that by this time you should be able to help other people grow. That's the idea. And I would want to say, everyone in here, if you are following Jesus, more and more, that should be the case in your own life, is that you're helping, you're able to teach others and help them to grow. For this, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need somebody, someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Can you say oracles? Oracles, the original Greek word used there means utterance or message from God. In other words, the first principles of his voice. You have somebody need of somebody to teach you again the first principles of his voice, of the things that he has to say. And there is, there are, therefore, we can, uh, we can agree, there are first principles, the rudiments, the foundations of his voice that we all need to come into understanding and walk in before we can go on to other areas of maturity. And the essence of maturity, again, is you are living less and less for yourself. And as you go through spiritual maturity, you're living more and more for God and in him for his purpose. Jesus on a cross is the greatest example of spiritual maturity. Hanging on a cross. That was a picture of a man, a human, completely surrendered to the will of his, God, of his father, even to the point of death. And in that, completely given to, in his will, in God's will, for the salvation and help of all mankind. That is spiritual maturity at its highest level right there. If you're following the one who hung on that cross, guess where he's going? That's where he's headed, and that's where he's leading you. Now, maybe not a physical cross, we hope, right, Rebecca? But nevertheless, laying down our lives, the more we receive this love that Stephanie's talking about, the more we can lay down our lives for this king because we see how good he is, and he's always going to be leading us to lay down our lives for people. That's spiritual maturity. The scripture says the first principles of the oracles of God 
and you have come to need milk. Now, what is, ne- what is milk? Of course, he's using an a, 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 a illustration here. He's not talking about physical milk. He's, he's using physical milk to refer to spiritual terms. Milk, what the, script, the author of Hebrews is saying, is that spiritual sustenance, those words from God that are easy. A baby can drink milk because it's easily digested. And babes have need of milk, the easy-to-digest stuff. The stuff that, that, that goes down easily. And milk is for a baby to grow its body so that it can one day grow into a place of being able to contribute to society and the family, etc. The baby cannot, even if in its healthiest form, cannot make a contribution to the family other than being cute, right? And in a similar way, a spiritual babe is not really contributing to the spiritual weight of the church and the work of God. The baby needs to grow up so that it can. That's the purpose of milk. But then we've got not just milk. It says you have come to need of milk and not solid food. Well, what's solid food? Solid food is simply food for the body as it's coming into an age where it can begin making a contribution to those around it. Here's the key. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word. In other words, the voice. Did you know that you can become skilled in what God says to you? Skilled in it. The word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food, how many of you want to eat solid food? And mature and get where God wants you to go and be who God has called you to be from before the foundations of the earth. What, what Solid food, those people belong to those who are of full age, that is, who by reason of use, take note of that. How do you get to the place of being full age? By reason of use. Using what? The word. What I'm getting at is obeying doing what the voice of God has told you today. Stephanie hearing that word about love and then actually remembering it, calling it to remembrance throughout the week. When she's feeling unloved, pulling that up and and recalling it and confessing and speaking it and praying it and and singing it and whatever else, using the word is what causes you to grow. Are we making sense? This is not my thoughts. This is straight from Scripture. Hebrews 5, by reason of use, have, you, uh, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. It is using what God puts in your heart that causes you to grow spiritually. I have a, uh, uh, a, a simple equation for spiritual maturity. Are you ready for it? Hearing and then obeying. Hearing his voice and then simply obeying it. I guarantee you there is no other way to spiritual maturity. This puts into context what we're doing every day as far as blocking time, having a journal, seeking to hear his voice, writing it down, talking to him about it, repeating back to him what we felt he spoke to us, asking him if there's something that we need to obey. This is why we do this. This is the importance of it. And here's the the deal. Your obedience to what he says today is the pathway to spiritual maturity tomorrow. 
your hearing and doing what he says this week is the only way to grow into who he's called you to be next week. The only way. And if we understand that, now we understand what we're going to get to at the end about the importance of the word of God. But let's go on to this third thing. Third thing of what the voice of God does, it gives you your part in God's call. From before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan. He knew that what the serpent would do, he knew that the serpent would turn on him, and the serpent being Satan. He knew that man would fall. He knew all, everything that would happen. He knew your life. He knew every sin you would commit, every problem that you would have. He knew all of that. And in all of it, mankind, in all of the world, God has a plan. Thank God. A plan for redemption. And the way he does his plan is through those who have been redeemed. Do you follow that? His plan of redemption is exercised and, and done through those who are redeemed. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you have a part in God's plan and call and purpose. But just because he has a plan does not mean that you will walk in it. How do we walk in his plan? Check this out. Hearing his voice and obeying it. It's a simple equation. If you aren't yet convinced of this, Matthew chapter 28, if you can turn with me there, Jesus, when he resurrects from the dead, he sees his disciples and he says these words to them. He says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples. That is the call. Remember this plan that I talked about? God has a plan. God has a mission and a purpose. That's what it is. In its simplest form, basic terms, it is to make disciples. What did Jesus do when he was here in his three and a half years of ministry? What did he do? Yes, he preached the gospel. Yes, he did miracles. Yes, he cast out demons. Yes, he, he, he did many great things. All that's part of the picture. But at the end of the day, it all is in the package of making disciples. What are disciples? Disciples are followers of Jesus. They're those who have chosen that to follow Jesus. To leave what they're doing and to begin following him. That's what a disciple is. That's what he did. He made disciples. That's what the church is called to do. I.e., your call, your purpose is to help in that process of making disciples. Am I making sense? Do you know that? Do you believe that? That's your call. That's his call. That's his call. Therefore, that's, you've got some part of, to play in that call. Make disciples of all nations. And then there's two simple parts to making disciples. First part, if you're reading along with me, Matthew 28. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is that talking about? That's talking about helping people who are not yet disciples to come to a point of seeing who Jesus is and choosing to follow him. And once a person chooses to follow him, we've got a young man in our church who has done that recently, the first thing that they should do is get baptized which is to go underwater as a sign, and Rebecca did that recently, go as, underwater as a sign that they're dying to themselves, they're giving their life to Jesus, and they're rising up to live following him, right? That's the first step. Second step, listen to this, second step of what you're called to do 
baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I, Jesus, have commanded you. Let's look at what that means. If your call is to make disciples, and a critical component of that is teaching them. And not just teaching them, teaching them to observe or to walk in whatever I, Jesus, have commanded you. That means you have to have first heard Jesus command you some things. How are you going to teach others to walk in what Jesus has taught you to, commanded you to walk in if you haven't first heard him command you? Therefore, you haven't even walked in it. So for you to even have something in your arsenal, something in your equipment tank to be able to teach others, you have to hear Jesus and what he's commanding you this week. Walk in that. And when you do, you're going to have the ability to help teach others. You, some of you may remember Rodney. I think it was last week or two weeks ago. I can't remember. Uh, he got up and he shared a testimony of this very scripture. And he was struggling with this idea of hearing God's voice. And, and he was reading it and saying, and his, his heart was saying to God, God, I don't hear your voice. And then he felt God wanted him to read it again. My sheep hear my voice. And he was like, but God, I don't hear your voice. And he kept on doing this over and over. And then finally, he said, I agree, God. I am your sheep, and I do hear your voice. Before he even felt like he was hearing it. And he began to confess that, and that's what opened up his ability to start hearing God's voice. Make sense? That was Rodney teaching us something that he had been taught of Jesus and that he actually had exercised and done something with. You, my friends, can do the same thing. Bob got up and shared with us about tithing, an incredible, powerful testimony, because the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, taught him something. He did it, and then you can teach others to do that. This is, that's basic what discipleship is. And you don't need a microphone to do that, by the way. You need to have a relationship with humans and love them. Let's go on. So uh, how do you know it's his voice? I just want to read this scripture quickly. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. It's a little bit out of context of what we're talking about. I'm taking slight liberty, but I'm going to explain how I can do that. Uh, Romans 14, 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How do you know that voice that you're feeling uh, in your heart? How do you know if it's his voice? I just want to say these three things of descriptors of what the voice of God is like. So Paul here is saying the kingdom of God, that's the realm of where God's will is being done, and that's the realm from which his voice comes. When he speaks to your heart, his voice is coming from the realm of the kingdom of God. And so by looking at descriptors of what that kingdom is like, it can help us to recognize what the voice sounds like. And the kingdom of God can be described as righteousness, peace, and joy. So when you're hearing that voice, let's ask ourselves this question. Would yielding to what I'm feeling in my, this voice this voice that I'm feeling, and I'm, I'm thinking it's God, but maybe it's not, would yielding to that voice produce righteousness? Let me give you an example. We had a relationship with a young lady who divorced her husband. And she was saying as a reason, and she was claiming at that time in her life to be a Christian, she was using as a reason that surely God wants me to be happy. 
Can anybody tell me, by the way, the scripture and verse where God says, I just want you to be happy? <laughs> You're not going to find it. But that was like with this popular culture idea that happiness is the most important thing when, in fact, as a Christian, the most important thing is following Jesus and trusting in him, even sometimes if it hurts, because following him always produces good. And her idea was that I'm going to divorce my husband, which, if, if, if you look into Scripture, yes, there are very strict places of, of where that is permitted, but otherwise divorce is just not the will of God. So if, you're, if your voice that you're feeling is really just what you want to get out of a bad situation, probably not God. If your voice that you're hearing is causing you to violate what Scripture teaches, ain't God. And there's a whole bunch of Christians who need to hear that. It, but there will be a sense of righteousness with the voice of God. It's right. It's just right. And with that comes the next thing, peace. When there's the rightness of God, he, it's, 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 the, it's the one who knows how things should be, setting in order, and it brings peace because it's the way it should be. It brings peace. So let me ask you this. Does... Does the voice that you're feeling, if you yield to it, will it bring a sense of peace with you and God? Does it come with the sense of peace? And I'm not talking about worldly peace, where, you know, I have a thought about eating a greasy hamburger or something, you know, and ooh, I feel peace about that. <laughs> that seems, no, no, no. We're not talking about the flesh and the desires of your flesh. We're talking about the inner being, you, that place of connection with you and God. There's a sense of peace peace. It just brings peace. That's the voice. These are descriptors of his voice. And then thirdly is joy. And the original Greek would actually mean calm delight. There is a sense of calm delight when he speaks into your heart. And uh, it's a deep resonating. And it feels like insight from heaven. It's like you see into the way God sees it. It just brings a calm delight, like, I want that. That's good. That's the voice of God. So how do you know it's the voice? I think those are three good markers. How do you hear his voice? Um, I want to say three things quickly. Scripture, faith, and humility. I know that we've already talked about Scripture in previous weeks, but I want to just keep saying that because we need to understand and I hope this makes sense, reading the scripture does not necessarily mean you're hearing the voice. However, you will not hear the voice without reading the scripture. And, it, it, we ha and so Jesus says it this way. Jesus says in John chapter 8, you, speaking to Pharisees, search the scriptures, thinking then it, that in them you have life. And do not know that these, the scriptures, are they that testify of me. And you will not come to me that you have life. What is Jesus saying there? Jesus is saying, I am a living person. I am the living word of God. The scripture points to a living, resurrected, alive Jesus who is alive and speaking. Am I making sense? So... Uh, 
And many uh, flows, uh, denominations, and groups in the Christianity are not comfortable with, the, uh, with saying things like, God said to me. They're not comfortable saying, like, I, I heard God say. And I, to be honest with you, I don't, it's, I, that's fine. Because most of the people that, that say those things, who, who say, I don't know about God speaking, they do believe in God speaking. Because they talk about the Spirit led me, or I felt impressed from the Lord, or God illuminated, or uh, what was the one you said? Impressed, yeah. I felt impre- an impression, or whatever. The, we, most, most Christians have a grid for what we actually are calling about hearing his voice. But, um, uh, but I, w- I just want to nail that thing again. Scripture by itself, without yielding your heart to search for that place of his voice where he's speaking to you, that in and of itself is not going to bring spiritual life. Now, uh, uh, name a popular destination that people love to go to. Let's hear it from somebody. Honolulu, baby. And we need to pray for Hawaii, by the way. Uh, Honolulu, good one. So if we loved going to Honolulu, it would be necessary to fly in an airplane, right? Now, uh, we could be obsessed with the airplane that takes us to Honolulu we, because it's the vehicle by which we get there. And Scripture is the vehicle that we use to get to the voice of God. So there could be people who, who, who know everything about the ins and outs of the 747 that gets them to, to Honolulu. And they know how many passengers can fit in there and they know how many are business class and how many are, uh, what are we, common folk? <laughs> Economy, yeah. And they know how much the plane weighs, and they know how fast it's going to travel if it's in uh, tailwinds going to Honolulu, and how long it's going to take to get from here to a connecting flight through L.A. over to Honolulu. And they can know all the facts and the figures about getting to Honolulu, and they can get on that plane, they can go to Honolulu and sit on the airplane on the tarmac and not get off and just be like, man, this plane, I know it, this is great, aren't I awesome for knowing about this plane? Would that make any sense? You need to get off that plane and be in Honolulu. Now, you're in Honolulu, but you're on a tarmac stuck in an airplane. And I'd say so many Christians approach the scripture that way. They know everything about the scripture. They know all this stuff. They've got all this knowledge. But has it actually led to the destination of hearing the voice, which is the whole point of the scripture? It's connecting you to Jesus in a living, relational, you hear him, he hears you way. That's what it is. So scripture, number one. Number two is faith and then humility. Uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Just uh, turn with me there if if you would. Hebrews 11, verse 6. Talking about faith. Uh, This has profoundly impacted this scripture. has profoundly helped me in my relationship with God and hearing his voice. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now listen to this. For he who comes to God, coming to God is what we're talking about when we go to that place to hear him. He, he, you, that's where you hear him, coming to God. He who comes to God, what are the requirements of, of that? Must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I can remember vividly sitting on my, uh, 
apartment floor in college, and I was trying to have a time with God, and I was feeling frustrated because I wasn't feeling anything. And I was praying, and I was reading, and I was going through all the motions that I knew worked before, and nothing seemed to work, and I just didn't feel anything. And I read that scripture. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And it was like, I've got my faith in my, 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 uh, my, my, what, what do you call it? Like my, to, my, uh, my faith is in all the things that I know that I've done before to be in his presence. But the scripture's saying, I don't have faith in praying this way or praying that way. I have faith in simply believing that he is. And my heart was turned to just simply rest in the fact that he is and just presence myself with him and just focus in on the reality of him being with me. Just believe that he is. It, 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 seems, so, it seems so almost imbecile that I've been having all this time reading the word, trying to pray, and without simply just calming my soul and remembering the amazing fact that God is. He is. Am I making sense? Sometimes you just need to do that. And so faith is one of those ways that we hear God is just believing that he is. And he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. If I don't just hurry through and get through my prayer time, but I diligently seek him, I'm going to get a reward. And then thirdly, lastly, humility. How do you, how do you hear his voice? Humility is key. I referenced this earlier, this idea, and we're going to just touch on it here. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus says this. Or let me, let me actually, humility, the idea here is that you hear God when you depend upon hearing God. You hear God way more easily when your heart is aligned with the fact that you are dependent on hearing him. This isn't like some optional extra for deluxe Christians, hearing God. If I don't hear him, I am not actually alive, according to biblical de uh, definition of life. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, this is what Jesus says. But he answered and said, it is written, and of course he's quoting the Old Testament, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word the voice that proceeds from the mouth of God. When our hearts align with that reality, that, because if we believe, please hear this, if we believe that we need to eat today, and I'm not talking about if you're fasting, I'm talking about normal life. If you believe, how many of you believe that you need to eat? Right, that's normal, right? So as a consequence, we believe that we need to eat, so we eat if we eat in our normal life because we feel like it would be wrong not to eat, and yet we are not hearing the voice of God and seeking it on that same level, we are clearly more attuned to our natural flesh nature than our spirit man, which is where life truly comes from. And so what I'm uh, challenging us with today 
and challenge, I don't want to make it sound like it's bad, this is wonderful, is to remind ourselves to place his voice at greater daily priority than eating. Because it is greater daily priority. Does the world teach you that? No, because the world isn't walking with God. They're not following Jesus. But the believer, this is who we are. Followers of Jesus, and the only way we can follow him, which is what life is. You, may, the, you search the scriptures thinking that in them have life, but you won't come to me that you would have life. Life is with Jesus. And the only way we can have life is following Jesus, and the only way we can follow Jesus is hear him, and therefore we put it on that level of priority on a daily basis, hearing the voice of God. Shall we pray? Uh, before we do that, I'm just going to uh, say... Uh, for this week, practical application, simply a rehearsal of what we've already given as practical application the past uh, two weeks. Let's continue in this, and I'm just going to remind everybody, make sure that you have blocked time every day, whatever that is. That can be three hours, that can be three minutes. Whatever, wherever you're at with that, whatever you need in order to feel like you've given enough space to read his word, meditate on it, talk to him, pray through, and seek hearing his voice. That's what you need. So block time. Number two is journal. Whether that's a digital device, which I would use, Google Drive, and my wife would use a hard copy journal, whatever you're comfortable, make sure you have a place so that there is expectation that I have a place to write down because I'm expecting to hear from him. So you have a journal where you're writing down what it is that he says. Thirdly, is that you're praying the scripture in other words, when you are reading the word and you hear it or you read it or, or if you hear his voice, speak it back to him. Like identify, like confess it, like we keep on saying in community group. He speaks, acknowledge it, back to him. And then third, fourthly, lastly, is, uh, is um, asking the Lord based on what you feel him saying to you, Lord, is there a particular way that I need to obey you? And if there is, write it down and schedule it. Nothing happens if you don't schedule it. So let's not hear him. Let's, let's not be hearers of the word. Let's be doers. And that will lead to spiritual maturity. That will lead to spiritual tra transformation. That will lead ultimately to Detroit being impacted by us being here, which is the reason that there should be a church in the city of Detroit. So, let's pray.